hello, and thank you for joining me on Underneath the Hat podcast, airing every Saturday at 10 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. This is speaker, author, and podcaster of Underneath the Hat, Cherie Simmons, and I am so happy and grateful you are joining me for a powerful episode on what now, dealing with the diagnosis, with such a beautiful soul who has an exceptional story to share. My very special guest is Jamie Bowles. Jamie Bowles, aka Jams, founded WJMS Radio, Radio Reimagined in December of 2015. WJMS is an internet station dedicated to youth empowerment, positivity, and community affairs. To date, they have hit 103,000 listeners across 150 different countries. Jamie was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in December 2018, despite being an active and healthy non-smoker. Diagnosis aside, she is still working full-time at the New Victory Theater in Times Square, running the operations of WJMS Radio while hosting three shows, kickboxing, and working out as much as she can, and actively fighting for her life. WJMS provides her a platform to bring awareness to her cause and others while inspiring those around her to keep moving forward. Through her involvement with the Lung Cancer Research Foundation and other organizations, she shares her story with the world to help erase the stigma that lung cancer is a smoker's disease. Her motto, I may have cancer, but cancer does not have me. Welcome, Jamie Bowles. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you for having me tonight. Thank you. So let's jump right in. With the diagnosis of stage four lung cancer, how did you find out? Um, So what happened was it it actually just, it kind of caught me by surprise, um, obviously, (laughs) but uh, I actually had a a cough, um, like a little wheezing cough that started and it was a very small cough that only happened when I was getting ready to go to sleep at night. So I would lay down to go to sleep and I would get this Mm -hmm. like wheezy cough and it would, you know, stay around for a few minutes and then it would go away. Um, And then that became a little more persistent and it started to become a regular cough when I was sleeping. Um, Okay. From there, that cough became more persistent regularly. So it became a cough on the subway and a cough on the way into work and a cough in my office. Um, And it just kind of stuck around. And I actually got a cold and the cold went away, but the cough stayed. And then I was like, of course, us being the Googling uh, generation that we are, I Googled it and I was like, oh, it's bronchitis. That's what happens when you have bronchitis. Like, you know, you have a cough and the cough stays, but the cold goes away. So I figured that's what it was, right? So I kind of, you know, let it linger a little bit, but I went to the doctor just to get checked out after the cold because I was like, all right, maybe I need you know, an antibiotic or something, you know, maybe I need something to kind of, um, to, to work with this a little bit. So I went to the doctor and I explained what was happening and they were like, Oh, you know, it's probably just asthma or allergies. Um, and they gave me an inhaler and, you know, sent me on my way, essentially, you know, they were like, try this out for, you know, a week or two and come back in two weeks and let us know how you feel. Um, okay. And like, they gave me like a little bit of a lung test, which not like a lung test that, you know, would really determine anything besides if it was allergies or asthma. It wasn't like any, it wasn't an x-ray or any kind of significant testing. It was just a breathing test to see, you know, what the capacity of breathing my lungs was putting out, you know? 
So, um, so yeah, so I got the inhaler and he was like, come back in two weeks and let me know how you're feeling and we'll go from there. And I said, okay. So I took the inhaler. Uh, mind you, I've never had asthma in my life and I've never had allergies. Mm -hmm. I'm actually the only one in my family who doesn't have allergies. Um, wow. And so I took the inhaler and I would use it when the coughing was happening, but it, it, it wasn't happening or helping at all. So I came back in the two weeks and he's like, hey, how you doing? And I was just like, hmm yeah, this isn't helping me whatsoever. So he's like, all right, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to write you a prescription for a cough suppressant and that should get rid of the cough and then, you know, you'll be feeling better. And he gave me that and he sent me on my way. And that was literally the extent of the appointment. That was it. Um, hmm. And so it went like that for, for a little while uh, until I went and got a second opinion. Like my, my boyfriend at the time, now fiance, was like, you need to get a second opinion because this is, yeah. you know, this has gone on for a long time now. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I should, blah, blah, blah. So I finally scheduled it with NYU. But the thing with, with anybody who's familiar with the healthcare system knows that when you're a new patient in a new network, if you go to sign yeah. up with a doctor to get a, an appointment, they make you wait. Like they push you out, you know, two, two months, months, whatever, however many yep. months. So mm -hmm. my appointment, I may have scheduled that appointment like maybe end of August, early September. My appointment wasn't until like December. It was a long time that I had to wait. Um, and so that's what I did. I just waited until that, that day came, but it was one of those things too. And, and the moment I knew something was really wrong was, you know, I'm not in like the best shape ever. You know, I'm not like a, a fitness model or anything crazy like that. And I don't eat, sleep and breathe fitness, but I also right. know that I can run a mile on the treadmill and typically be okay. And usually that would be like uh, the baseline for me. I would usually run a mile and that would be sort of like my cardio workout for a while. Right. Um, and so the one time I was in the gym and I was running my mile and I got to about a quarter of a mile before I was like, I got to stop. And it wasn't one of those things where it was like, oh, you just got to, you know, run through the runner, get to the runner's high and then you'll feel better. It was like, no, no, I'm really, I'm not breathing. Like I'm not getting any oxygen. Um, oh. And so I had to stop. And it was, I knew at that point that something was really, something was going on and there was something that really needed to be looked at. Um, and it was at that point that I was like, all right, we just, I just need to wait till the second opinion gets here um, uh -huh. and kind of went from there. Wow. Wow. It, it, it really just listening to you and you being able to listen to your body. So many of us feel that things are not right. Yeah. Yet we don't move forward with going to see what the actual problem is. And a lot of us feel the way you did with having to go get a second opinion because we've had experiences with doctors where they get us in, get us out. Yep. Exactly. And so it's more so of a, a dollar sign that they see. The more patients I can see, the more money I make that day. And so we end up not getting the actual help that we need. And then things start escalating and becoming worse before they get better. You know what? I actually left a part of the story out also. It was um, right after um, the cough kind of subsided a little bit. I started, I got into kickboxing because I was like, you know, get into a, had a comfortable relationship, hit that 30 year old metabolism. And I was starting to put on a little couple pounds and I was like, right. oh, all right. So I was like, I gotta <laughs> hit the gym a little bit harder. And for me, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that likes to be in the gym all the time. Like I just, I'm not, I just don't want to be in there lifting up things and putting them back down to get like, it's just not me. So I was like, right. I need to find something more interactive, something a little bit more fun. And I found a Groupon for like a couple of kickboxing classes that, you know, you get free gloves or whatever and you get to try it out. And I was like, you know what? Let me try that. I'm like, high intensity cardio sounds kind of fun. I was like, let me try it out. 
And so I tried it and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, yes, this is cool. I love it. I'm burning calories. I'm having fun. I'm working out. And I'm, I feel like I can defend myself. Um, right. And so I got very heavily into kickboxing right around that same time. And I started having back pain. And I thought to myself, oh. like, because I was doing such high intensity cardio, and if you've ever done kickboxing, like you're, you're, you're hitting yeah. your fists are balled up and you're punching and you're, you're doing a lot of upper body activity. Right. And I figured that the symptoms I was having with back pain was attributed to my muscles not being used to it and just the tenseness of working out and not stretching and stuff like that. So I mm-hmm. largely assumed that my back pain was coming from that. Um, but lo and behold, it was something way more deeper than that. But yeah, I forgot that was also something else that was a sort of side effect that at the time I didn't lump it together with everything that was going on with me because I really had no reason to think about it. Um, And it ended up, once I got the diagnosis, I realized, oh, wow, all of this goes hand in hand. Right. Wow. So what advice do you give those that feel it's the smoker's disease? Because we've, uh, years ago, it came out with the thing of secondhand smoke. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were fearful of that. And I have family members that smoke, but I don't. And so when that came, I was like, oh, Lord, something's going to happen because I'm around <laughs> all these people that smoke. Yeah. But to hear from you, your story, the fact that you've never smoked, yet you have lung cancer, what advice do you give those that feel that it's just a smoker's disease? If that's one of the hardest things to deal with, um, honestly, mm-hmm. because when I first got my diagnosis, that was always the first thing people asked me, the first thing that people said to me. Um, because it's, it's something I've, I've never smoked. I don't smoke weed. I don't smoke cigarettes. I just, I don't smoke. It's never been a thing for me. Um, Uh and so as soon as I got my diagnosis, everyone's like, oh, but you don't smoke. And I'm like, no, but I have lungs, you know? And so one of the first things I started telling people is I'm like, you don't need to smoke to get lung cancer. You just need to have lungs to get lung cancer. And people were like, Mm. what? Because it's been so ingrained in us since we were little, you know, if you smoke, you get lung cancer. If you're around smoke, you get secondhand lung cancer. Like, it's always uh-huh. been ingrained in us since we were little kids that smoking causes lung cancer. And now it's to the detriment of people like me who get lung cancer, who have never smoked because people are now assuming, oh, they deserve it because they smoked. We told you it was going to happen because you started smoking, you know, like, and so that kind of diagnosis or this kind of diagnosis is really hard for people that don't smoke because we get lumped in with the stigma of everybody else that did smoke. Not that anybody who smokes deserves lung cancer or anybody deserves cancer in general, right. but there's this stigma circulating around the lung cancer community that's like, oh, you know, and even on the federal level in terms of funding, um, mm-hmm. because we are the number one killer, but we get a quarter of the funding that breast cancer, colon cancer, you know, and, and all the other cancers get because federal funding is just not there for it because they just assume that it's a smoker's disease. So it's mm-hmm. so much deeper than just the stigma of, you know, you said versus she said and stuff like this, this goes down to a funding level. And so for me, the advice that I give people when, when they're, you know, coming to me with the, the, you know, oh, this is a smoker's disease is, you know, I surprise them. You know, I look, they look at me and I'm like, you know, people who I meet for the first time, they look at me and they're like, you have lung cancer. And I'm like, I sure do. And they're like, but you look, you know, you look so good and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, it's funny how that works, right? You know, like it's right. the way I combat the stigma is just by being myself because my story is so relatable and it's so, it could be any of us, you know, honestly. And so the way right. I combat the stigma and the advice I give to people is that when they when they hit me with the, oh, but you don't smoke, I stop them immediately. I'm like, you know what? I have lungs and that's all you need to get lung cancer. And in fact, you should probably go get screened yourself because you never know, you know, if you could have it yourself. 
And so right. I turned it around on people and let folks know that like really the only condition needed to have lung cancer is lungs and that's it. Um, and yeah. that's kind of how I combat the stigma. And it's, you know, <clears throat> also podcasts like this and radio shows and opportunities mm -hmm. that I get to tell my story does a little bit more to break down that stigma. And even just my following, people are like, oh my God, I had no one, I had no idea. You know, I didn't know all of these things. And um, for November, which is Lung Cancer Month, uh, Lung Cancer Awareness Month, I did a 30-day campaign of lung cancer facts and statistics and just things about my journey that people didn't know. And every day when I would share something, people were like, I had no idea, you know? Mm. So that's the way that I combat the stigma is just educating people, correcting people when they come to me with stuff that's incorrect and just right. letting folks know like, this could be you too, you know, especially yep. who are smokers or who are smokers who quit or people who have folks in their family who smoked. I'm like, go get screened. There is screening right. available that can catch this early because what's happening is there's been so much education around lung cancer being related to smoking that the screening isn't happening because people assume that you don't smoke, you don't have cancer, you're fine. But right. what's happening is that because people assume that all of these diagnoses are coming in at late stage, like me, I'm stage four. Like how mm. am I stage four never having smoked? You know what I mean? Like stage four right. is the most advanced stage that you can have. Um, right. And the truth of the matter is a lot of people are getting diagnosed at stage four, you know, or mm. when it's too late, just simply because they don't get screened. And even the screening process itself would have never caught somebody like me. Like I'm not even in the demographic of people that they would have get screened. So like my insurance company right. probably would have given me a hard time if I wanted to go get screened for lung cancer. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. Yeah. And that's all I was thinking when you were talking about the funding and the fact that, um, the whole stigma that people have about it and it reminds me of i always look for the forest over the trees so many people focus on the little things i'm looking at the big picture and yep. i know that a lot of money comes from cigarettes and so and i also know that a lot of money is in the not the cure but the medicine Oh, so yes. I'm wondering if the reason why you, when you said that even though it's the number one killer, it gets the least amount of funding is because there's so much money that comes to the government from cigarettes. And that may be a reason why that stigma carries into the medical field of doctors not even considering everyone to be screened for smoking because like you said, everyone has two lungs. Everyone can get lung cancer. But if we screen everyone, then our chances of people buying cigarettes like they do would decrease yeah. because we realize we have more people with the disease. And girl, I've dived down that rabbit hole so far and so many times that it's like, it's scary. And honestly, to, you know, cancer is a billion dollar industry. Um, and mm. even when you look at breast cancer, if you look at some of the main breast cancer websites and you look at the sponsors who are sponsoring right. them, the very products that the sponsors put out are sometimes linked to breast cancer. You know, even like, you know, the milk, they talk about milk, you know, leading to strong bones and da 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 da, -da and calcium and vitamin mm -hmm. C. And milk has been linked with hormones and things like that has been linked to breast cancer. And it's like they're sponsors. So it's like you have to very, you have to look at who is sponsoring these things. And we have an even right. bigger situation now because while the, the amount of people that are smoking has decreased, there's now mm -hmm. this new wave of smokers with vaping and stuff vaping. like that. And it's so brand new that nobody knows what the long-term side effects and ramifications of this is going to be. Everyone's just on it because it's the new hip thing to do, the hookah uh -huh. and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yep. when, you look, when you break down what's in hookah and what's in these vaping, sometimes you're smoking 
exponentially more cigarettes than a cigarette smoker is smoking. Like, I think I saw a statistic somewhere that was like, a hookah has like 40, cig- 40 cigarettes worth of nicotine or, or tobacco or something like that. And it's some ridiculous, crazy amount. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's the hip, cool thing to do on the club now. And it's like, we right. don't know 20 years, 30 years down the line, if this is going to manifest itself as a cancer as well, you know, and it's going to exactly. be like, oh, now we're, we're looking at, uh, we're doing hard research into vaping and blah, blah, blah. like mm-hmm. now it's an epidemic. And it's like, yeah, man, we could have told you that from jump, you know? Right. Because I just did a podcast with um, all the stuff that's been going on with Kobe Bryant and the Gail King video and just um, reading what people are saying and how they're reacting to things. And we're in the middle of an election. And again, I see the big picture. And so I had to do a podcast a couple of days ago called Wake Up. Like we're being distracted from what's really important because the government knows that if they Keep us distracted, our culture distracted, then we are the, the group that can decide who the winner is. And if we're distracted with something else, then they'll be able to get the person in that they want to get in and continue with their agenda. Yep. But we're so distracted by things with the new craze of the vaping and the hookah, and we're causing our own culture to be extinct because we're not doing our research. We would rather research what people who are doing in their personal lives and who they're dating and what they're wearing mm-hmm. than what it is that we're putting inside of our bodies that can ultimately take us out. Yep, exactly. And that's the scary part about it is that all of the things that, you know, happen that distract us from the real issues at hand take away from the real issues at hand. You know what I mean? Like, right. and that's, that's, that's the problem. So we, we get things that these fly by night, you know, legislations and rules that get passed and regulations that go through and we're like how did this get approved and it's like oh well you were paying mm-hmm. attention you were paying attention to the Popeye's chicken sandwich last week exactly. so he was able to sign this into law because nobody was paying attention exactly you know? so, yep yeah. absolutely <laughs> so you you mentioned that you being able to do these podcasts and it allows for you to use them as a platform to get your story out and with that, you have your own radio station, WJMS. Yep. So how does the radio station play into your purpose and legacy? So the way the way that the radio station plays into it is, honestly, it's connected me to a, a ridiculous amount of people. Um, mm-hmm. Just my connection to the radio station alone has put me in the room with lots of people that I can have significant conversations with. Um, I've been able to bring people on my show because I have, not only do I have the station, I also have two uh, shows that I do on the station as well. Um, and I've been able to bring people onto my shows to talk about different things. I've been able to navigate in different rooms and stuff like that. So the platform has given me the opportunity to, I think, reach more people, both organically, but also you know digitally through the internet. Um, okay. And I, I am trying right now to to sort of leverage the exposure that I'm getting with through the Lung Cancer Research Foundation and the American Lung Association um, and my wow. partnerships with them with the radio station because there is a way to push this entire not agenda because I don't like the word agenda I feel like agenda has yeah. a very bad connotation and a, a really seedy sort of underlying sort of like thought around it um, right. but the message like the message that I'm trying to get out to people. I feel like the radio station can push that further, you know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's also getting as much visibility as I'm getting through these networks and these partnerships. 
Um, and I am working with the American Lung Association in some of their national campaigns, which is great. Um, <laughs> so I've been able to, to work. I've been on CBS, so I'm waiting for that to air and some other wow. ways that, you know, just, just telling my story and just sharing it with people. Because I think folks look at me and they're like, what? How do you have, you know, like, and they're surprised because I don't look like your typical, you know, cancer patient. I don't, whatever that may look like. You know, I don't, right. I don't, I don't act like or behave like a typical cancer patient. And so my story is sort of an anomaly, but it's also the story of you and I, like anybody, this could yeah. happen to anybody. And I am living proof that it could happen to anybody. And I'm an example of how that can be. Um, and so with the radio station, I really try to push that message forward um, in the in the guests that I have in the shows that I have in the networking events that I'm reaching and stuff like that. And now at this point, the radio station was my platform to help others get their voice heard. Now I'm uh -huh. using it to help share my voice a little bit as well. Oh, and that I love the fact that you're doing that because, like you said, you don't look like what we consider to be a person with lung cancer. And yeah. I myself am going through infertility issues. And I'm so sorry. I'm actually chronicling my third cycle of IVF with my husband yeah. on YouTube because you've heard so many celebrities come out now recently talking about their journey with infertility, but there have been so many women suffering in silence. Mm -hmm. And especially in a culture where the first thing out of their mouth is, when are you going to have some kids? Yeah, that's the worst. Why you haven't had any babies yet? Yeah. And then to find out that you can't have them the way that everyone else does. Yeah. And I'm only 37, but I'm perimenopausal. And one of my tubes is blocked. And yeah. I've had 33 fibroids removed, <laughs> over six surgeries. So at any moment, I can kick into menopause and not even give birth. Yeah. So I decided, okay, God, you put me in this position for a reason. So let me share what it is that I'm going through. So I'm actually sharing every part from beginning to end of the IVF cycle so that people can see what it is that women out here are going through. So yeah. you can be a little bit more sympathetic about the things that you say. Girl, there is nothing glamorous one. about that procedure. I've, I've exactly. partially to freeze my eggs and there is nothing, mm -hmm. nothing glamorous yes. about what these celebrity women are doing. Like they, someone needs to be real and show the real side of it. Cause it was some Absolutely. days I'm like, you know what? Like I'm really about to just mm -hmm. close my thing off. You know, so you hard. already know. So you remember getting the big bag with all the shots and the needles and the medicine and stuff yeah. like that. And trying well, to hide it from the subway. So today. <laughs> yep, just got my bag today. So I'll be filming that uh, video uh, once I'm finished with you so they can actually see what we actually put inside our body. It's crazy because I remember, like, I'm not one, like, I used to, you know, let me, let me rephrase that because that is not the case anymore. Um, I used mm -hmm. to not be one for needles because like, I just was always like, ah, I need, like, I mean, I have tattoos, but like, I didn't like getting shots. You know, I was a punk when it came to getting right. shots. And for those mm -hmm. that don't know, when you're doing IVF, you're giving yourself shots like uh, yeah. several times over, like, big, and not <laughs> yes. just, not little, little teeny thumb pricks, no, you know, no, like no. we're talking inch long needles that you got to put in your flesh and, and, yes. and it hurts. Um, it does. Kudos to the folks that have diabetes and have to deal with this on a daily basis. I can't do it because I was like, I was bruised. I was black and blue. I was tired. I was full of hormones. I'm crying at Ugh. work for no reason. Like, what's yeah. <laughs> the most Because I'm going through, I'm just doing the, um, the um, birth control now. So yeah. I'm at this step where they're getting us all on the same cycle. 
yeah. um, so that we could go through the egg retrieval together. And I, Jamie, I don't know <laughs> what is in these pills, but I, I can see the difference in my attitude. Yep. With people, and I teach kids, so I'm like, oh my god, I'm like biting off these kids' heads, and they looking at me like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I can just see the difference in four days of taking these pills. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like once I start implementing the shots. Yeah, and they're oh, those shots are are brutal, and I psyched myself up because they took me it took me a solid thirty minutes to get the first shot in because I was like, I got to mm-hmm. give myself this shot. It was. Ter- yeah. I should have video. I should have videoed it because it was. It was probably mm-hmm. comical now, but back when it was happening, I was not laughing. Um, yeah, I think I'll become. I, I'm ready for that part because this will be. This is my third cycle, so yeah. I've gone through it twice already. But we, yeah. when it came to the egg release, the egg retrieval, because of all the fibroids I had, they couldn't get to the egg. Mm. So that was where we always stopped at that point. So I'm like, the shots part isn't the biggest thing. It's just the hormones. And sometimes I lose my hair from the medicine. Oh, so that's been the biggest part about it. But I'm just excited now because this is my first time going through the cycle without any fibroids. So I can't wait to see what the outcome is now that I have no more fibroids. Yes, I'm praying for you, girl. Yes, this is it. Thank you. Yes. I receive it. <laughs> Thank you. Now, who would be your ideal person to interview and why? On my radio station? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I would probably say Michelle Alexander. Okay. <laughs> and only because I've been like <laughs> low-key lusting after getting her on my st- my show for so long. Like, honestly, I, I read the new Jim Crow by her and I've done so many different discussions and not just podcasts, but I've actually spoken in front of judges about the prison industrial system and the the prison pipeline and prisons for profit and stuff like that. And I have gone so deep down that rabbit hole and I got all of that from, from reading her book. And I honestly would love, love, love to just be able to get her on my show and just literally pick her brain in person and have like a real like honest to God conversation with her about, you know, the prison industrial complex. Honestly, I would love to do that. <laughs> so wow. that's, that's the first person I would pick. Um, okay. pretty much, yeah. <laughs> now given all that you've been through, all that you're going through, what is the driving force behind your positive mindset? Um, besides faith and, and just being grateful, I know it's weird to uh-huh. say that I'm grateful, um, but I am, to be honest with you, because I don't look like your typical cancer patient. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, and that for me, that's a, that's kind of like a driving force for me. Um, kickboxing right. is also a driving force because it's my way of reclaiming my power. Um, uh-huh. You know, I I've gone through so much stuff in the like year and some change that I've had this diagnosis, and it's insane to think about where I was in December of 2018 versus where I am in February of 2020. Um, Because my outlook on life was a lot, a lot more different than it is right now. Mm -hmm. And so I've been grateful enough to, like I said, be aligned with the Lung Cancer Research Foundation where I've met people who have and share my story. Like I met one woman on my first time coming out and speaking to somebody about it at an event, like in a support group. And her story was basically mine. And I can't tell you, I know it sounds cliche, but literally a weight lifted off my shoulders because I felt like somebody understood. 
You know, like mm-hmm. there's times that I could walk into a room full of people at the Lung Cancer Research Foundation or even the, you know, American Lung Association and just say, yeah, it's a bad lung day. And somebody will be like, it is, isn't it? And like, they, I know that they know what I'm talking about, you know, like other people right. are like, oh yeah, I know what you mean. I'm like, no, you don't. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, a driving force is being grateful for that because, you know, right. I have people around me that help me to realize that I'm not alone. And my support system is amazing. Like I have the best, the best little network and support group of people behind me and cheerleaders that like this, this side of the Mississippi. Um, And so all of that makes me very grateful. I also am in a lot of Facebook chat groups that are for ELF positive, because that's the the branch of, of lung cancer that I have. And so I've, read people's stories and I've watched, you know, people talk about folks that they've lost and I've watched people talk about side effects that they're having of their medication and situations that they're going through where things aren't going as planned and just all of the things that happen, you know, when you think that you have a handle on it. And I look at where I am today. I look at how I'm feeling. I look at what I have and I am grateful. I am, I am grateful that this is the walk that I am on. Is it going to be this way forever? God, I hope so. But realistically, no, probably not. And so for me, that's the driving force. The driving force for me is being grateful for what I have and what I don't have. Um, yeah. And realizing that I could always be 10 times worse. Am I in, do I feel great all the time? Absolutely not. Like, are there some days where I just want to stay in bed? Absolutely. But I get yeah. up every day. And if I can, I drag my behind a kickboxing 5.30 in the morning. And, you know, I go and I run my mile and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do so because I know that someday being realistic, there's going to be a time where I can't do that. And so I try to make the most of all of those opportunities and all of those moments and be grateful for them when I can. Um, And be grateful that I'm not in radiation, you know, and losing hair, like you mentioned, you know, like for a black woman, hair is is a thing, you know, like for any woman, really, hair is is your identity. (laughs) To lose that is, is for me, is like an ultimate nightmare. And so I'm grateful that, you know, that's not my walk right now. Um, Right. You know, I'm going through this, this egg freezing process with hopes that someday I'll actually be able to use my eggs and, and have mm. a child. So, you know, I'm grateful that I was able to financially afford to do that. Cause that is not cheap. I, it is um, not. And so <laughs> you like, it's, you know, it's, I guess the, the overwhelming or the over, yeah, the overwhelming drive for me is just realizing that my situation could be so much worse. And while yes, I do have cancer, cancer does not have me. And mm-hmm. every day when I'm living and I'm living the way I'm living, I'm proving that. You know, and I'm beating this, I'm combating the stigma and I'm, I think I'm beating the odds and I'm grateful, I'm positive, I'm happy. And I have people around me that love me and support me. And I know that, you know, things are going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I have truly enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> me it's, too. it's good to be on the phone, to talk to someone who has gone through some of the same things. And I haven't really spoken to anyone outside of the few people I know who have yeah. gone through the whole egg retrieval. Mm-hmm. So it's good to be able to have that conversation, especially with me going through this third cycle now. Yeah. And to have someone who understands what I'm feeling when I talk about the pills and the hormones and the mood yeah. swings. So it has been a great joy talking to you. But before we go, yeah. I always ask my guests one final question. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> uh pay attention <laughs> pay attention and advocate for yourself mm. yeah yeah that's it that's it i 
I got a funny story for you, though, if I can tell it before we end. Go ahead. One that I think that you'll get a kick out of. So mm-hmm. when I went through my egg freezing procedure, um, the day that I was going to go and get the eggs actually taken out, there was a waiting room, right? And I, I told the story oh. on the first time that I came out and, and spoke about my, my diagnosis. And so oh. we're in the waiting room. It's me and like, I think three other women. And one of the women got called immediately. So she didn't get to bond with us like the rest. But it was like me and two other women. And we were just like sharing our stories and I was telling them what was going on with me, how I had just gotten engaged like two weeks before my diagnosis. And I was going through this process and my husband was, you know, our fiance was over in Korea and just all this mm-hmm. crazy stuff. And the other woman was telling me how this was like her second time trying. And, you know, the other lady was telling me her story. We were like, we're going to pray for each other. And like, and we were mad bonding, like in yeah. this, this waiting room, like, like, you know, when you're in a bar and you're drunk and it's the, you're in the women's room. And it's like right. the most supportive environment that you could possibly be in because exactly. women are always great. And like, so yeah. we're in that, we're in that waiting room just bonding. And I'm like, oh man, like this is gonna be great. You know, they're like, let's keep in touch. And we're like, yeah, let's definitely keep in touch. And I went in there and I got my egg procedure done. And I was like thinking I'm good. I got like two new women who are gonna be in my corner and I'm gonna be able, we're gonna have a support group and a group chat. And like I gave them my phone number, like, cause I was like, I left them my phone number and none of them women called me. And I got so oh. upset. I was like, did y'all go? I got ghosted at the fertility clinic. Like, I really felt <laughs> some kind of way about that. Like, I thought we had a connection. And not right. one of them women called me. And I just thought that that was really hurtful. And I hope one day they see this and they remember me. And they're like, dang, I never called her. And uh-huh. they it. <laughs> But yeah. Yep. I laugh now. Well, but I'll, I, then. <laughs> I would definitely be keeping in touch, especially going yeah. through this cycle just to have someone else that understand yes girl anytime you want to call or reach <laughs> out i'm here <laughs> so. all right well before we go um i want to give you a chance to share what you have happening underneath your head and how people can find you definitely so you can always check out wjms radio which is my my passion my love that's my radio station um wjms radio on all of the social media that's snapchat facebook instagram twitter uh, the website is, is just wjmsradio.com. You can listen 24 hours, seven days a week. I have some really awesome music playing all the time. Um, I am waiting for my appearance on CBS, local news. Okay. So once that comes out, I will share that on my social media as well. You can follow me personally. If you're interested in me and what I'm doing, um, I have a, a public page on Facebook. Uh, it's just jams. I think it's WJMS jams. Um, on Facebook. And that's where I kind of share like all of my cancer updates and statuses and check-ins and appointments and stuff like that. Um, And then I'm just at Jamie Jam on Facebook and just underscore jams on Instagram if anybody's interested in those as well. And yeah, just keep on the lookout. I mean, a lot of opportunities kind of pop up where people want me to be in magazines and on campaigns and things like that. So I try to share them with folks so they can see them when they happen. Um, But right now I'm just kind of taking the days as they come. And if anybody wants to book me for something, I am, you know, I'm open and ready to tell my story to whoever wants to listen. Well, I'll definitely be friending you once we finish with this recording so we can go back and forth on Messenger when I'm (laughs) at work and ready to strangle someone's child. I could say, yes, it's the shot. shot. (laughs) I just want to thank you again. And for those of you that are listening, if you are in need of a good read you can go to amazon.com and find my book underneath the hat it's also available at Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million 
Again, I want to thank you so much, Jamie Bowles, for sharing your story of what now, dealing with the diagnosis. You can check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, and Overcast. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. And remember to take care of yourself underneath the hat. Talk to you you soon.